everybody, you're listening to So Many Sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Garrett. Oh, and I'm David. And today <laughs> on the show, we are with... <laughs> me for a loop. What did you do? Andrew's gone, so like, <laughs> I, I was the, order, the order jacked with my head. It's like, oh, I go next. <laughs> I'm sitting there waiting for Andrew to talk for 20 minutes. Andrew is not here today. He is busy, and we are... Going on without him, because the show must go on, as they say. Yeah, we only have so much time to record. <laughs> yeah, we only have so much time, and Andrew is the same way. But Andrew should be here for the third one. Yeah, we hope, we're hoping he's back. he's back around for for Night at the Museum 3. But today on the show, we're talking about Night at the Museum 2, Battle of the Smithsonian, um, starring Ben Stiller, uh, Robin Williams, Owen Wilson, Steve Coogan, and some new people, Amy Adams... Hank Azaria, Bill Hader, there's a whole ton. We'll get through a lot because this this movie really has a big cast. It's mm-hmm. packed with cameos and small like uh, small appearances. This is the 2009 sequel to Ninth Museum, as you might have figured out um, by the title. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, last time on on this movie series, Ben Stiller plays a man named Larry Daly, who is kind of like a down and out single dad. Um, he's divorced from his wife. He's had trouble keeping a job because he's an inventor, but inventing doesn't really make you money. Yeah. Um, so he stumbles into a job at the, at the, uh, Natural History Museum where he's the night uh, security guard. Yeah. Long story short, he finds out that everything at night comes alive, like, uh, Toy Story or Small Soldiers. Yeah. Yeah, because of a magic tablet. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, um... Stolen by the former three. That's right, what yes. happened, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, they the wanted to film, steal yes. it. Well, yeah, they, they tried to steal it. and yeah. he stopped them, but that's yeah. the idea. That was the goal was to try I, to take this tablet because not mm-hmm. only does it restore life to inanimate or give life to inanimate objects, but it restores youth and and uh, and vigor to men of all ages and women. Yeah, because uh, that power. Never ever shows up again. No, because like Larry, I mean, I guess Larry does a lot of running, but he doesn't seem necessarily any more spry yeah. than uh, he he's not surprised by his own spryness or anything like that, you know? No. Although he does do a lot of running in these movies, I noticed after finishing them. Yeah. A lot of Tom Cruise-esque running, sprinting. So in this movie, Battle of the Smithsonian, Larry is now... A big famous uh, inventor. Mm-hmm. He's taken a lot of the problems he had at the museum and made inventions that became a big success. Yep, such um, as the glow in the dark flashlight. Yeah, and the whatever he made, uh, uh, you can't, lost keys. Yeah, never lost keys or something like that. So he's no longer at the museum, but he goes to visit and finds out very sadly that they're getting rid of all the exhibits and replacing them with holograms because mm-hmm. technology ruins everything. Which is a honestly kind of a like before its time idea really in 2009 a little bit a little bit like i could see that happening with like the movies that we've had come out recently that mm-hmm. kind of concept but like in 2009 i was like hmm, holograms aren't that good no but the just the last 10 years they've really improved that kind of technology to the point where that might be believable yeah yeah so so yeah he finds out they're replacing all this stuff they're sending them to the federal archives yeah and um just to just to wrap up this quick synopsis um the Rami Malek's character has a brother. Um, did either of you catch how it's pronounced? Common Ra. Okay. Who uh, also wants to steal the tablet and use it to take over the world. Mm-hmm. And Larry and his friends save the day. So let's describe this movie with one word. Oh, I'll say fun. <clears throat> okay. I struggled with a word. I, I The word that I'm going to use is improvement, but I don't 
mean it in the way that it sounds. <laughs> improvement. Oh, that's so the that's word. Right. Yeah, oh, improvement yeah. is the word. I thought you were saying the word is an improvement. Oh, no, no, no. The word is <laughs> an improvement. What? But I don't. That problem? I'll, 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 words. I'll explain. I do that. I, because it, I know what I want to say, but it's really a struggle to get it in one word. So yeah, that's where my okay. the source app. Uh, I'm gonna say stacked, as in the cast is Ooh, stacked. Yeah, that's true. What what I mean by improvement is it's just a step forward. So like a lot of times when you see a sequel, it doesn't really do much for me. I thought this okay. movie was a good continuation of the story. Like mm-hmm. the the first movie, I didn't think. I think it did a really good job of setting up the background and the lore and the mythology of this tablet and kind of getting things rolling you didn't have a great villain there wasn't a there was a little bit of controversy but like it was really just Ben Stiller or Larry trying to figure all of this stuff out in this one you had a conflict you had an issue you had a problem mm-hmm. and it really developed and moved the story forward mm-hmm. which is what i look for in a sequel so in that sense i thought it was an improvement in that it moved the story forward mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I found that to be the, like, when my word was fun, that's the most fun element about it, is it gets right into it. It doesn't, like, like the reveal in the first film was a real kind of, like, late reveal. We talked about last week, they kind of tease it a little bit along the way, but it's very late in the game before, like, an antagonist comes about. And this one, it's very quickly on. It's uh, it's with, it's less than 21 minutes into the movie, and he's in the Smithsonian. Like, mm-hmm. he's got, they've gotten all the exposition out of the way. They are now in Washington, D.C. He's trying to get this stuff back. Like, we, ha- and we get to our main villain within maybe 30 minutes of the movie. Uh, and so, it's a really, got, it's got a much faster pace about it. And um, because of the characters and the actors, like, it just feels like it has a very fun, um, quick pace, and you never really have time to get too bored. Mm-hmm. Um Something that I found especially uh, fun about this one is, like you said, it it, it improves because it kind of like takes the concept and just jumps off with new ideas, like um, the fact that not only do like mannequins come to life and stuff like that, but paintings come to life. Yeah, and these you know these like mar like these big statues and abstract. Uh, abstract statues come to life and they're moving about and so it has a very like it it takes all the concepts that were there with the previous film and goes okay now we're not really bound by trying to try to explain that we don't have to explain that again let's just have fun with it Mm -hmm. so it's a good improvement in that sense um and yeah and and that combined with the talent it's just really funny and i have a lot of fun watching it what are our favorite scenes or moments, quotes, oh. etc. Everything. I hate to go first because I'm going to take one of. I'll tell you what. I'm going to leave the other good version of this out. But my favorite is towards the end. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert. But uh, <laughs> after after uh, Larry basically gets everything figured out, he's got the code to the tablet. And he's but he had in and Common Ra's demanding the tablet while he's holding Jedediah inside the little. Uh, hourglass mm-hmm. and they get into a fight that kind of mirrors the fight that uh, Larry had with Jonah Hill earlier yes. and he's doing they're doing this whole like you know no you do not cross this line and he goes do not speak and he's, and he's just like yelling at him you speak I will kill you I so want I to kill, kill you if you didn't know this code <laughs> I would kill you where you stand and, he, he's, and then he goes like you will not speak you will not reach across. You will not touch this, or and you will give me the tablet or something like that. And you like, and like Vince like reaches and goes, just give me the thing. And he goes, you did all three, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's just something that 
feels totally improv and feels like it in a lesser film something like this might feel like they were just trying to pad time mm-hmm. because like it the situation resolves itself without either of their input because somebody else just walks in with the code so it's kind of a it's kind of a a throwaway element but it's so it's too funny it's Hank Azarian and Ben Stiller being very funny together and so it just kind of works and that's my favorite like little scene yeah for uh to piggyback, my favorite scene was the part with Brendan, where yeah. that, all of that happened initially for the first time. And it really does feel like an improv thing. And I feel like, I don't know which team did it first, mm-hmm. but I feel like it was such an improv thing. And the cast was like, this was so funny. And then they told the other people about it. And so then they just tied it in together. Yeah, like, they try to find a way to make it work yeah. again. And they really did. And so, like, I mean, there were just so many good quotes that came out of the... <laughs> Uh, Larry Brunden back and forth whenever he was like you're moving in with some ITT and he's like what is that intent to touch bro and then they start talking about that and then he starts talking about last time I checked we live in the free country and he goes no "No, no. we live in the United States and don't touch that thing in front of you (laughs) and then he touches it and he's like I just wait all day for like little girls to touch things with their fingernail polished hands or something like that yeah and then they do the flashlight foo which is just stupid. The flashlight <laughs> has a big part in this, yeah. and I really don't understand yeah, it's it. Like, it's really dumb. It like It's like his ultimate weapon is this flashlight. But I think my favorite is when Brendan is touching him with the flashlight, and he goes, <laughs> he goes, don't touch me with the flashlight. He goes, I'll touch you with the flashlight all day. I will, liter- I will literally rent a camper, and we will drive across America with my flashlight on your chest. That was so ridiculous. That it was oh, fun. absolutely! That was so good. My brother and I went to see this movie. I didn't like. I I think I told you this last week, Garrett. I saw this movie first. Right, right, right. Like in terms of like actual viewing, mm-hmm. I had not seen the first one. We got kind of uh, in a situation where we had to go see a movie, and this movie we wanted to see was sold out, so we had to take the next available movie essentially because we were already determined we were going to do the, watch a movie. Yeah. So we watched this. My brother and I quoted like the whole way home, and for like weeks, months after, just doing stuff like. When I'm driving him, like touching him, and him going, "Do not touch me!" And I go, "I will rent a camp," <laughs> and with my arm on your shoulder the whole way, just doing that stuff, that like bit. It was yep. so funny, and him doing like Burundin, most popular baby names, 1984. Look it up. Which is not on the at least it's not in the top 100. I checked. Why would you check? He told me to. Why would you ever? He even told me to entertain the idea that that because might be real. If they put it Burundin. in the movie. I was like, maybe it was popular this is a in 1984. Movie full of talking museum exhibits. <laughs> they come that to life, matter. and you're like, I don't know. Maybe part of it's true. Maybe, maybe they, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep checking. I'm gonna fact check Jonah Hill's I'm improv see right now. How popular um, it was. The, the this Jonah, is fairly young Jonah Hill too. Yeah, this is like yeah. before a lot of his bigger stuff. The Jonah Hill scene was was my favorite scene as well. I liked it a lot. I thought it was really funny. Can I highlight another scene though? I want to highlight nope. the well, one scene. Get... Crap! But but I tell you what, you can take Andrew's scene. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't really know. Uh, I guess the scene with Darth Vader and Oscar wasn't that weird. It wasn't. I mean, I liked odd. it, but it was weird. It's weird because like it made me wonder if like this movie was like I don't know what what they had to do to license that. Yeah. Like, cause uh, I don't think this is a is a I don't think this is even like a subsidiary of Disney, but I guess it, but it might be. Um, nope. 20th century. 20th Fox. century. I mean, it is now. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't at the time. You're but both of those. Right. I mean, Sesame Street. I think is. Well, wait, wait, wait. This came out in two thousand nine. 
had had Disney bought Lucasfilm yet? I guess not. So it was still it 20th Century to. Fox yeah. thing. I'm over. I'm, so there we go. I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting my timeline of events here. But I, yeah, I guess they would have just had to license Lucasfilm and Sesame Street. Yeah, and Sesame Street. That's a that's that's PBS. Yeah. So, so I'm not sure. Know, what that may goes not be that, that hard. But it's a great little cameo from Oscar the Grouch. Yep. And uh, he tells uh, he tells Vader like, "What's with the cape? <laughs> Are we going to the opera?" <laughs> I don't think Hank so. Hank Azaria is really funny in this movie. Hank Azaria, it's almost a Hank Azaria, Hank Azaria vehicle. Yeah. Beyond anything else. Like, it's just, it's just a showcase for him to be funny because not only is he common raw, he also plays Abe Lincoln. Yeah. And he plays the thinker. Yeah. Well, he's such a good voice actor. He does a lot of voices, so he's funny. And then, like, he's a pretty good villain, too, I think. I mean, I think that for this movie, yeah. what he's trying to do works. I don't know. I, it was It was, this is like... This is the best movie I've seen ever with Hank with, <laughs> with Hank Azaria since the Birdcage. Uh, well, you know that's pretty good. That's that's he's not. I'm like, not sure what the, his like, full filmography is. In that respect. it's like the Birdcage, The Simpsons, not much good stuff. Night at the Museum too. <laughs> like that's like he's that's both, my knowledge of Hank Azaria. He pulls off threatening and comedic pretty well. Like as a com- he's a very good comedic villain in this. Yeah, and uh, more great stuff from Jedediah. Owen Wilson and uh, Steve Coogan as Octavius. They were hilarious together. Their uh, 300 rep- uh, recreation, which 300 just come out. Like, it feels dated now watching them do that. But, like, 300 only come out, like, a year and a half before that. Yeah. So, probably while they were filming, like, 300 came out. Uh, I There's two character, new characters in this that I enjoyed quite a bit, and they are uh, uh, Amy Adams, Amelia Earhart, yeah. and Bill Hader's George Custer. Yeah. I thought they were both very fun. One of my favorite lines in the movie was um, when they were in, when uh, Larry and Amelia were in the painting, and she said, "This is one humdinger of a hoot nanny." <laughs> yeah. And I went, "What did you just say?" I like when she says, "You haven't been able to take your cheaters off my chest." You're the that was a good yeah. one too. She had a lot of good weird one-liners. <laughs> yeah. Just well, just yeah. the way she talked, and then they called it out too. Whenever they were trying to get into the air and space part yeah. and they were she was like you're jimmy jacked and he goes what and she goes that's just the way i talk and he goes yeah but that would even so, felt like mistake or like made up for you and then she was like oh no we can't get in because of all the people that are in the way and yeah. it was like it wasn't as fun not, i don't know it's not fun to say that i thought amy adams did a really good job she i thought was a standout character i had a list of favorite new characters and brundon was on the list amelia Earhart was on the list and george custer was on the list uh for me I thought Bill Hader was brilliant as George Custer. Yeah. Um, when he was caught and thrown into jail with the other exhibits, and he was going through his plan, and he was like, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> On the third bugle blast, I'm going to loudly yell attack, and then we're going to attack. And then Sacagawea is like, wouldn't that be a bad thing? Like, we're going to, you're going to, you're going to like... You're gonna like tell them we're attacking, and then just the fact that he couldn't say Sacagawea was me trying yeah. to say Carla Gugino's name last week, where <laughs> he was true. just making up stuff, That's and true. that was really funny. Where he, I think he called her second the box yeah. and Cinco de Mayo, yeah. and it was just, it was really funny. I was looking at Amy Adams's history a little bit. She'd already been nominated for two Oscars by the time she did this movie. Dang, yeah, a, a two-time that Oscar nominee to, playing Amelia Earhart. That girl really needs good. to win one because she's. She's been nominated a lot, she's really right? Good. She's, yeah, she's, um, a, she's a highlight of this film. Six nominations, no wins. That's mm. one of the highest um, streaks of not winning. Yeah, mm. right I gave it time. Right. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, this is not an Amy Adams podcast, but you could easily say that she deserved the win in in several of these and nominations in in movies that she didn't even get nominated for. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Play Amelia Earhart for real. Maybe she should. Maybe she needs to. Maybe that was like her way of of telling Hollywood, like, hey, look at what I can do. (laughs) I'm really funny. (laughs) Um, Do we have any other favorite moments we want to talk about before we get into the our least favorites and hot takes section? Yeah, I can't think of anything that really stands out um, that much. It's just generally Um, a fairly funny movie. Yeah, I mean, you got. I'm trying to think. I, I enjoyed seeing Ed Helms. Yeah. There's a lot of great little cameos. Uh, George Helms, Foreman was yeah. funny. Mindy Kaling had a nice little moment. Um, Chris Robin, no, not Chris Robinson. Chris, oh my God, Craig, Craig Robinson. Robinson. Craig Chris Robinson. I don't know. I was listening to Black and, Rose uh, there or and something. And Twofer, I guess. right from from Thirty Rock, is the other guy. I think so. Who does the, the Tuskegee Airmen? Yeah, like that guy. I think mm. so. It's a Twofer, I believe, from Thirty Rock, and he just announces everything that Tuskegee Airmen are doing. And I like Craig Robinson's playing a very like. His character on the office mm-hmm. kind of character where he's just going, you don't have to do that, man. Just just be chill and, and, and walk down yeah. the hall. Uh, we also, oh, cameo from the writers. They Thomas played the Wright yes. brothers there. Yeah, they were the Wright brothers, right? Yep, they were the Wright brothers. So a fun cameo from them. And then, uh, yeah, that's about it. I mean, that's it. this movie is packed with lots of fun little things like this that. This may have been somebody's least favorite or, or hot take, but we also had uh, Jonas Brothers. Oh, multiple love it. From the Joe Bros. Love it. That's Those my uh, Cupid Angels. massive highlight of the film for yeah. me. Yeah, I, I love mean, it. I don't like the Jonas Brothers, but this is the best Jonas Brothers have ever been in a movie. At least they cast people that could sing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Singing roles. Yeah. for the for, They're playing tiny little cherubs, little cupids. But this saying, is like uh, peak Joe Bros to yeah. 2009. And you know what's funny is like they probably weren't I imagine they weren't actually there, but Larry uh, but but Ben Stiller's playing off of these fi- off these <laughs> off these invisible yeah. characters yeah. really good where he's like buzz off, buzz off and they're like singing like more than a woman and they like oh change it up and they start beatboxing and stuff and he goes don't, don't change the arrangement. It's not about the arrangement. Yeah. <laughs> and you know more than a woman, you know. It's really <laughs> it's a really it's really enjoyable and they find their way back in three or four more times. So this is a this is we'll go out of order a little bit, but since we're talking about the cast, this was one of my hot takes. Is this movie came out what two thousand nine? Is that right? That's so right. Like, this cast of two thousand nine is like a, in my opinion, like a launching point for a lot of people. Like people were recognized, but like I don't think they had hit their stride yet. So yeah. we talked about like Jonah Hill, Ed Helms, Mindy Kaling, Bill Hader. All of these people were like they they were known, mm-hmm. but I feel like this was like their moment. And yeah. If you look at this cast then and you look at this cast now, and this is where I might get in trouble by both of you, <laughs> I think that of these people, Ben Stiller is one of the least popular currently. Like, yeah, people still love Ben Stiller and will watch Ben Stiller movies, but like, I would argue that Bill Hader, Mindy Kaling, Ricky Gervais, Jay Bernthal, even like all of these people. First of all, his name is John, so your argument's mute. Oh, I, I <laughs> saw the, I saw the, right. it's the three-letter John. He just straight, he just straight I saw the three letters and just went to J because I was thinking of Jay Baruchel. <laughs> yeah, um, he's in it too. But like, I think that those names have become currently, not like overall, you, but like currently more popular than a Ben Stiller I, movie. I don't think you're wrong. There are there are I do a little there bit. Are countless people in this movie. Well here's here's how I'll say here's how I'll say you're you're right. There are countless people that are small part bit players in this movie that could lead their own comedy movie now. Sure. Like hunt bunch of, uh, and not even just comedy, you're right, because like Amy Adams could be the lead in her own movie. Sean Bernthal probably could be a lead in a 
in a comedy. I bet. I bet he's got. I bet he's capable. Of I that. just meant their but name recognition. Not maybe not. Name, maybe that's a bad way to put that's it. That's right. But like, all these people could lead their own thing. Yeah, they could. I don't know that anyone besides maybe J- Jonah Hill might be the only other one who's a bona fide movie star. Yeah, Ben Stiller and Jonah Hill. Like yeah. Bill Hader, love the guy. He's not a. Movie he's star. not a movie star. No, but he could lead a comedy. Well, and he does on on Barry on HBO, but I yeah. don't. I don't know that he's a movie star. I don't know that 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 I see Bill Hader being the leading man in a film. I mean, mm-hmm. he they kind of tried it with. Uh, he did well with Amy Schumer in Trainwreck. Mm-hmm. He was the male lead in that film. And he, he did the Skeleton Twins with yeah. with Kristen Wiig, right? Yeah, yeah, but he's not really broken through as a movie star like he has in TV. Yeah, no. And I'm, I'm just... That's, that's not to great. the degree. No, not, not to, to the degree. degree of Ben Stiller or Amy Adams, even. Then you got... Yeah, like I said, Jonah Hill is, is a bona fide movie star. And then, by, by this point, he'd, he'd done his breakout role as Superbad mm-hmm. and, and some other stuff. He um, hadn't done Moneyball yet, though, right? right? Uh, no, he had not done Moneyball. Which was kind of a big turning his, point. Yeah, that was his... Oh, he's a dramatic actor. Yeah. Like, he can do everything. This guy's way more complicated kind of than we thought. Yeah. Well, it seems like Ben Stiller has, has more in, in modern days kind of taken a, a more back behind the camera role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he just won an Emmy or something for, or maybe a Golden Globe for a TV, a miniseries he produced mm-hmm. for cable. So, But you're right, it is kind of... he's just kind of taken a step back from being the, the star. It is kind of a movie that's full <clears throat> of before they hit it real big kind mm-hmm. of people because yeah. Mindy Kaling even like Craig Robinson it's very popular yeah could uh, well they were on the office at this point you know and uh you know Ricky Gervais in his smaller role I don't think it really I mean he had Ricky Gervais is very famous but I don't even think he had had some of his bigger film or tv shows by this point even no no I don't think so I mean so there's a lot of there's a lot of like oh my gosh I can't believe they're in this like kind of <laughs> kind of things you can pick out in this movie, yeah, there they are. There are a lot of people who, in two thousand nine, you may not even, you may not even really recognize. Yeah, because you also remember in two thousand nine, like The Office was not as popular as people act like it was. Right. Yeah, it's no, a much it, bigger deal today it than it was there. when it was on the air. Yeah, it was. So Mindy and Craig are like not, probably not super noticeable at the time. No, it and was, especially Ed Helms. Yeah. However. I, I checked, and this movie came out like a week before The Hangover. Oh, which, oh. which shot him into Superstar. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of funny how that worked out for him. So people probably saw The Hangover and then were like, "Ah, we haven't seen Ninth Museum too. Let's go see that." And they're like, "Whoa! Why is why is The Hangover guy in here for yeah. thirty seconds?" Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Okay, let's well, uh, let's talk about some least. Let's move on some yeah. more hot takes and least faves. That, that category just kind of goes together. Least favorite, and I was really, really struggled to pick one of these because I thought about picking one with the with the kid, but I'm gonna say the one you were talking about just a minute ago, and it's not, uh, and it's a, it's the Sacagawea name runoff uh, sequence. And it's not necessarily my least favorite because it's like I don't know. I I laughed and I laughed I laughed probably both times I saw the movie, but it's just shot poorly. Because there's a moment where I don't normally complain about these type of things, but when he's when he first says the plan, right? He's like on a box, like sat up above everybody. She says that she says, "Won't they hear what they're saying?" And he goes, uh, and he like says her name wrong one time, and then she says, "That's not my name." And then it cuts to him standing next to her, saying the rest of the names, and then it cuts back to him, like she it cuts to her, it comes back to him, and he's back on the box. So it's like just a really like they it was like they they had him come down and just run off a bunch of names, and then they didn't. They didn't uh, match those two elements, so it's like clearly one of these things was used for the trailer because they like shot a bunch of these name runoffs that they could use in 
promotion, but they didn't like marry the two. So he's like, I don't know. It's really hard to describe. He's on a box. He's down in front of her. Then he's back on a box again. It's just, and it's something I didn't really notice the first time. But when I was watching this time, I was like, oh, that's really a little bit sloppy there. Um, so that's really like the only reason that I really pick it is because it's just kind of like it was offsetting uh, something that I noticed this time. Otherwise, I don't know. There, there, there's not enough time to really like get bored in this movie because, like I said, it's just it's just scene to scene. It's just moment to moment. Like they just keep moving. Yeah. So I talked about it in the first one, and they <laughs> did not fix it. And in fact, they doubled down on it and said, "Let's <laughs> they, let's they let's go the, big or go home." They went the other way. The la- I, the lack of reality <laughs> is a little too much for me to forgive. I will live in a world where. A magical Egyptian tablet brings mm-hmm. these museum things to life. Mm-hmm. But I will not live in a world where there are zero security guards in the biggest museum <laughs> in the world. Right. There is nothing. At least also, not at night. you include like a big giant, Abe Lincoln is walking around the city, Washington, yeah. D.C., yeah. one of the most populous cities in the country, and nobody sees it. Not a soul. There is not a human being out your hot take? after... Yes. Oh, certainly it sounds least, like one. I thought this was your least favorite scene. Oh, no, it's 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 all... Com- <laughs> no, 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 it's just my least favorite part. Of the, like, I, just, I can't do I it. I don't understand how you can't bridge the gap. Cause to pa- let me, I'm gonna, it's been a couple weeks, a few weeks. Uh, uh, like, let me, let me paraphrase a line no from. Let me paraphrase a line from Endgame. He's a night guard. It's either no all, it's either all a joke or none of it is. <laughs> no, and like you're either all in or you're all but out. He, I don't like this picking. Like, well, was, that's realistic, but this hasn't. Well, no, but it's, you but it's s- they set the world. They set a world where like people, magical things can happen. That's fine. They also set a world where night guards exist. Why are there no night guards at the biggest damn museum in the entire yeah, during world? During the day, he was like going from like building. You remember early on when he finds Brunden? He's like going around yes. and seeing all these like tougher looking day guards who yes. are guarding doors. And then he finds Brunden and he goes, perfect. I right. can totally get this guy's card. And then all he has to do is trick one one archive guy. Yeah. And then he has free roam of the whole Smithsonian. Right. No, you're, also, you're right. It is a weird thing. Also, the whole entire blueprints of the Smithsonian are online, including the underground archives for his child to look at and be like, hey, dad, yeah, you're going to go left here and then you're going to find what you need. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. And also, when he found the new people... <laughs> They <laughs> were in. They were shoved in a crate. All, All right. the Egyptians were standing there with their things. So clearly, this had happened overnight. The first right. night, they've been there all day. Then they're all there the entire day. <laughs> Nobody during the day was downstairs and went, "What is this? What's and why is this here? happening?" No, I can't oh. over. I know it's a weird thing. Yeah, but like that's a little too much to forgive. Yeah. Okay, Josh. Any hot takes? Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> this doesn't matter. I'm very but passionate, it, about but it annoys me. I hated the whole shoehorned in Joey Motorola bit. Yeah, what's that because about? it it plays with time in a way that doesn't work. They he lives in a painting, not the past. Yeah, you can't leave a phone in a painting and then have it affect the future. Like that's not even that's, remotely 
how time travel worked. Like, is, are we to believe the paintings are also a pathway to the past? Exactly. It's, like they're, a, it's like they're a portal through time space. That's are, stupid. I mean, there's uh, a lot I, going on here, but it's like, that's that, 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 that's really like a, a, a major discovery hidden within the film is like photographs with the use of this tablet are a gateway to the past. Right. It's like, was it worth it? Was it worth it for that bad joke yeah. that you had that you couldn't, even, Motorola. you couldn't even make it until the credits? <laughs> well, and I feel like it's a little weird that they made Motorola a Brooklyn name. Yeah, like Joey Motorola. No, it's it's not, not, like, no, that's not any of this works. No. Once again, is that it? <laughs> he, you said you had like a whole laundry list of. So here, well, once again, I'm you're going go. hot take, hot take, hot take. I hot do. Take. David's so, lukewarm take is back, though. His lukewarm take from last week has was amplified. The mess is outstanding in this film. Yeah. Oh, they do make a. They mess. destroy a stained glass window yep, with at the plane. Smithsonian with a plane, and they blink and kicks it around some more. <laughs> yep. And there are artifacts smashed left and right, big glass things destroyed. I mean, Common Ra is disintegrated. Yeah, into, <laughs> into a pile nothingness. of dust. And there's, uh, I mean, who knows how many of the other mannequins are probably damaged or something, or, or, or in various ways. So, like, who's cleaning this up, and who's not noticing it? Like, who's going around and going, who? Like, it's just I, they don't need to show us everything. Like, they just didn't have to make a big mess in the first place. Why? Why destroy a stained glass window? That's a major. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, string left un, un untied yeah. there. What happens? Does it does it also magically just get thread resolved? Yeah, like I don't get it. Like they don't ever state that. And also, Kamara piled a big pile of crap in the middle of the room, yeah. topped by Archie Bunker's chair. Yeah, his so, throne. Like, he was looking at the Dorothy's red shoes. They, from meanwhile, Oz. meanwhile, they got a two-hour flight back to uh, New York to make. So, like, who's getting all this cleaned up? Right. Who's fixing the stained glass window? That's probably easily a hundred thousand dollar job. Yeah, because that I bet you that was paint that that stained glass was made sometime in the early nineteen hundreds. Right. My, most of my hot takes that I was listing before <laughs> all dealt with that reality thing. So it was like um, all of that stuff is like they're walking around at night in a museum with no guards whatsoever. Mm -hmm. This is not the same situation as like Larry's the night guard so he knows what's going yeah. on and is the one in charge of No, this is a one. third party museum. Right. Where they have no idea what's going on. So this would not be fine. Um the other thing that I had that was just it's not a hot take, but it's just a conversation starter. So at the beginning of the museum or at the beginning of the movie, when they go over like what they're getting rid of and and you know we're we're replacing all most of our exhibits with holograms. Mm -hmm. They show a hologram of Teddy Roosevelt, mm -hmm. and it's like, ask me a question, and they ask him a question, man, and then he answers a question. Right. That would never, I don't feel like that would be a thing, because you leave it open to kids to ask a question <laughs> at a museum, they're going to ask a bunch of dick jokes. Yeah, like, they're, they're, they're just going to, they're going to do that. I'm sorry, I don't have an answer for that. And, and that's pretty <laughs> much what it's going to be. Yeah. And then, uh, if... Teddy also says, after everything had been packed up, he was like, I'm not leaving. Rex isn't leaving. Some of the more, like, interesting exhibits aren't leaving. Why do they have a hologram of Teddy Roosevelt if he yeah. ain't leaving? Yeah, just to sit next to his mannequin. Right. Yeah. It's... And I just thought that was a 
those were two things that like really jumped out to me. But my main thing yeah. was just the lack of reality that they it, put in the world. It seemed like a weird way to mostly write Robin Williams out of the movie. Like they he didn't have much to do in this. He's one. not as much in this. I mean, he has a he reappears as a bust of Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, which is which was is entertaining. But compared to the first one and the third one, it's very little Robin Williams in this movie. So it's a uh, it's an interesting thing. Granted, all those hot takes. Still love the movie. Still yeah, very I fantastic. thought about it. It's fun. It's, it's enjoyable. Funny. I like it. Still very funny. Yes. Josh, any more hot takes from you? Or did Gary, nope. did you have more? Joey Motorola was all I had. That's stupid. It's a stupid It's, it's a stupid a, bit. It's a, throw, it's a dumb joke to begin with. Yeah, and it, I just feel like if you couldn't even fit it into the movie, yeah. why did you write it? Yeah. Right. It's such a bad, like, it's so bad that we didn't even bother putting it in the actual movie. It all, I mean, it what didn't help either thing? that, like, when they, when the painting started moving, all I could think was, oh, somebody saw Harry Potter. <laughs> like, why is this all of a sudden a thing and it wasn't in the first one? They didn't have any paintings at the Night of the Museum, at the, uh, the Natural History mm-hmm. Museum, apparently. No, pa- yeah, apparently there's no paintings. Because <laughs> even, like, ben, even Larry was surprised by it. Mm. He was like, this is new. They had a monkey fight slap scene. Yeah. Did you like it? Did you like it as much this time? You didn't no. like the three-way monkey no. fight slap scene? No. What was wrong with this one? Because it's just trying to put a joke down my throat that I, they were like, well, it worked the first time. Well, yeah. Spoiler alert, it's you might see to... it again in the third one. I did, and I didn't like it that time. Either. <laughs> I was like, nah, it was a moment. You don't repeat jokes. That's not, no. It becomes a, it becomes a very, uh, the. No, it's part of the movie. It's not. It's part of it. It's then, like, I watched, it really then funny. I watched the first one again. What it wasn't. You, Im- what am I going to watch the second one It was one of the things that wasn't an improvement. No, you know, like don't just blatantly repeat jokes. You have to create new variances on the on what you already What's did. What's the monkey's name? Uh, Abel. No, Dex. Oh, there's Dexter, Dex, and then there's, there's like the Abel. One. Yeah, Dex. Dex. Uh, declines in quality as the movie's going. I think. Yeah, he yeah. was the best in the first one, and then yeah. he just gets worse in this one, and he it just becomes a parody of worse himself. in the third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he redeems himself. We'll talk about that later. He's a no. Talk about that next time. Um. I do like, uh, before we move on... I can't believe you just said a capuchin monkey redeems himself. <laughs> <laughs> I said he became a parody of himself. Um, I don't know why, but we were talking about different things, the monkey, and it didn't remind me... Oh, we were talking about them leaving. It did remind me of like one of my favorite... Of an actual like line in the movie that I just really liked, where they're all packing up to leave. Oh, because you were talking about them leaving, and Teddy says, I uh, want this to be a, a, a joyful night, our last night together. I don't want us to squander it in self-pity. So, who will go for a walk with me around the museum? And a lot of people say, yeah. And Octavius looks at Jedediah and he goes, do you want to go for a walk? And he goes, no, I want to squander in self-pity. <laughs> <laughs> Which might be something I start saying more often because it's just, <laughs> that's just, I didn't expect it and it really caught me off guard. All right. So now I think I know the answer to this question. But let's talk about should this movie have been made and what are the consequences of this movie <laughs> on the series as a whole? So I'll go first and say I think it should have been made. I think the first one was a surprisingly uh, successful movie. I guess I won't say critically acclaimed movie because no, it, it was certainly not, was not. It was not critically acclaimed, but it was successful. And uh, they decided to make another one. And I thought that uh, that was worthwhile and they they brought back the original director the original mm-hmm. writer most of the original cast and added some really high profile people or some some high profile new people yeah so i think it was worth pursuing the idea yeah consequences they put this thing out in the summer as opposed to at christmas time and it did not do as well and 
I don't know if if anything, you know what the problem was? This one might have been too good because it because most people I, that I've spoken with about it like this one, and because this one, I think probably I don't know. I haven't seen the, the Rotten Tomato score yet. But I think this one is genuinely more liked in a critical sense, and that's why they made a third one. So the consequences are we get kind of a, in my opinion, a not quite as fun third one because this one was too good. I think it improved the story, or it advanced the story. Um, I liked, uh, one of the things that I wrote down was I liked the fact that you could now see that the paintings come alive with mm-hmm. this tablet because, yeah, you didn't see that in the first one. And so the fact that you can enter those paintings or enter those photographs and interact with that world in yeah. addition to everything that's alive on the outside was pretty neat. Um, you had a villain that made sense. It was his brother. Um, you know, you advance mm. the character development of each person. Um, the message was, you know, you're supposed to have fun in life. And I'm going to be real with you. The inventions that they listed that Larry made are garbage. <laughs> yeah. They are garbage inventions. Yeah. And so he should go back to being a night guard. Yeah. Uh, But he had found something that he was doing that he loved, and then he put himself in a different position, and he wasn't as happy. So, like, Mm -hmm. I liked the message that they gave. Um, Consequences would be the same thing you fall into is uh, it goes, well, you got to make a third one now. Like, I I don't know. I, I don't think that a third one was necessary per se, but I also didn't necessarily think a second one was necessary. Mm -hmm. I think that if you do it and you advance the story, then it's fine. It just depends on the movie. And this one did that. So like, I don't have a problem with this. We'll talk about it next week, but I think it could have stopped. Yeah, I don't, I think they did well with what they had to work with for this movie. But overall, I I don't really think they should have made sequels to night of the museum. Mm. Um, and that, again, that's not a diss on this one. I just don't know that it, it was necessary. Um, I think I would have been just as happy with a one-off mm. because it, the the world they created does make it difficult to to advance the story because these these characters live in a building mm-hmm. and when you take them out of that building it gets dicey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard it's hard to keep their story going outside of it and it's hard to keep more stories coming when you're confined to one building. If you if you think I had a lot of hot takes about lack of reality to this one, you just stay tuned for next week. Oh, no, yeah, be fun next week. These are my least so, favorite takes. So, so necessary. So I say I say necessary. You say kind of mostly necessary. Sure, it's like. fine. Like yeah, and you I say, say it you was say unnecessary. It was a success. Part. It was a successful attempt, but it wasn't ultimately necessary. Yeah. Sometimes you succeed at something you shouldn't have done. That right. I mean, yeah. don't mean anything wrong. Yeah. Anymore, it's almost like, you know, they they didn't really leave it open, per se, for a sequel. Yeah. Um, but it made so much money that they took advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, and but they so, didn't also leave it too closed. Right. You, right. Yeah, they didn't shut it down. But I think this is more of a product of, this was successful, let's do it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of. And they did, you know, we w- we've said this a lot, we'll get into it next week with the third one. But <laughs> it does it does give them... A consequences it does give them the opportunity to, to create it like a, a trilogy with a bow on it yeah, yeah. even though they screwed it up <laughs> but they get to do that yeah it's kind of like with movies you either got to do one or three yeah or a ton yeah but one and two is always weird the yeah, ending this, it two is strange the franchise concept and honestly it took off more after this film came out but you know there are some there are some there are some people that believe that when it comes to like a movie you're going to put out 
in like a summer, like a blockbuster kind of movie, that if you aren't, if you haven't, if the franchise doesn't, if they don't feel like the franchise is capable of supporting more films, they might not even greenlight it. Yeah. So um, this might have been a movie where they didn't even think about that, and then it did so well that they they pushed it's true. more. I just kind of think that uh, the trilogy is is like the preferred form to me to tell a a, a story mm-hmm. through a movie, a, give a movie's arc. Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of successful franchises that go beyond three. Mm-hmm. You do, but not as many. No, and especially not as many that maintain quality. Um, and a lot of the ones that do are based on existing properties like books or whatever. Right. It's a situation where, well, the trilogy is kind of more or less, you can, you can compare it to, you know, three acts. Exactly. And there are some movies that have, that do good with five, four or five, but most of the scenarios where that happens, something has to change between the third and the fourth. Yeah. Like if you do six movies, the second three have to feel like their own story in a, in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like the first three have to feel like a, like it completes something. And then if you're going to do more, it has to feel like something's new. Something's yeah. changed. Otherwise, it's, it's just going to feel like more of the same. And a lot of them run into just more of the same in the fourth. And yeah. never end up getting that fifth it's, and sixth. It, you know, one of the few franchises that we've done on this show that went beyond three uh, would be Mission Impossible. I think they're a good example because they've gone so many movies while improving quality. Mm-hmm. And it's because at that 3-4 mark, they do change it up and it becomes something different. We haven't reviewed it yet, but Fast and Furious does the same thing. They shake up the cast, the story, and they do something totally different. And they've continued to make a, a franchise that is financially successful and critically acclaimed. Yeah. And there's a, I mean, there's handfuls of others. <clears throat> um, probably the Bond films are the most notorious for the idea of you know, changing things up on a level of even changing the main actor. Yeah, well, and what's interesting about the Bond films is we have gone totally off topic. <laughs> They're not really sequels of each other. No, not necessarily. Only the, I think only the Daniel Craig movies reference each other. I think yeah. all the others are standalones. Yeah. That's but, true. all that out of the way, let's move on. Let's, hit, let's hit up the box office. Let's go the box this, office. Uh, well, um, you said it came out in the summer. It did come out in the summer. Um, let me see where are my numbers. You Here know, we it go. seems when movies go from from Christmas to summer, they tend to f- not flop, but well, this something is definitely find trouble. Star well, this Wars is a family movie, and family movie year is usually Christmas time. Like this, that summer seems like an odd one for this. So yes, and so the first one came out. Uh, we talked about it the last week. I think uh, the, the third weekend of December. This came out. Uh, May twenty second, two thousand nine. Oh, that's probably Memorial Day weekend. It then. is. Mm-hmm. So we've got some some varied numbers here. So the movie as a gr- as total made one hundred seventy seven million dollars in the United States. That's number two hundred fifty eight all time. It went on to make another two hundred fifty. Thir- excuse me, two hundred thirty five million from overseas markets, giving it a grand total of four hundred and thirteen million dollars. Opening uh, for the top uh, for its opening weekend, Battle of Smithsonian had a fifty four million dollar opening weekend, which is pretty good. Yeah, fifty-four million dollar opening is that weekend. Four day or three? That's day? three day. Okay. If you go to include its four day, it's Memorial Day weekend. It made seventy million dollars. Okay, which is not too bad. Now, this is a very weird combination for the top ten. I'm just gonna tell you right now, this is the most 2009 list <laughs> I've ever read. All right, at number one was Battle of the Smithsonian. Open number one. At number two, Terminator Salvation. At number three, Star Trek. J.J. Abrams Star Trek. First at one? number first one. At number four. Angels and Demons. At number five, Dance Flick. At number six, X Men Origins Wolverine. At number seven, Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. At number nine, uh, excuse me, at number eight, Obsessed. 
At number nine, Monsters vs. Aliens. And at number 10, 17 again. Man, I worked at a movie theater that summer. This is the, all those movies. I've seen probably at most of those just by being just by working at the theater. Am I wrong? No, is that not just sound like 2009 it's to you? It's painfully 2009. I mean, especially dance flick. Dance flick. Now, uh, the only the movies that opened that weekend alongside Night at the Museum were Dance Flick and Terminator Salvation. Remember, Terminator Salvation had that had that bit of new PR problem when that. Uh, audio leaked of christian bale yeah that total freak out yeah yeah, yeah his tirade leading up to the movie like uh, before either before it came out or just as it I'm came have out to listen to that after we're done here so counting about the museum there were five sequels in the top 10 that week uh you know this also makes this movie 10 years old this year exactly 10 almost years old. this this exact month and uh it was number f- the the 14th highest grossing movie of 2009 so not a high finish all things no, considered it looks like it was heavy top loaded <clears throat> Uh, ben Stiller was it's his it's the sixth highest grossing film for Ben Stiller fourth really? highest grossing film for Amy Adams yeah what's the, what's his top his top Ben Stiller I'm gonna go back it could be Dodgeball <laughs> I don't even think that's in no. the twenties that's in the tens I think ben it's Stiller. in the top ten somewhere there's something about Mary hang on hang on oh, that could be because I'll, I'll I'll let's see if you guys can get it can you guess oh man I gotta reorder it can you guess Ben Stiller's top five movies um. There's something about Mary. Is it in the top five? No. Really? No. Um, Boy, you guys are going to have a rough time with this. Is it? Give me a... There's something about Mary's number seven. Okay, give me a range of like what year are we working with What years? Is it like like early, early Ben Stiller or is it like mostly 2000? His his top five all came out 2004 or later. I'm going to look at his filmography and try to guess. Oh, I feel like that's cheating. No, it's not. I don't see the numbers. I'm just seeing the movies. (laughs) Yeah, I can't name a ton of Ben Stiller. You could name all right three. Of, you can name all five. Oh, of these. Uh, five of them are from the front. Same Tropic Thunder, Madagascar. Yeah, Madagascar is one of them. Is Tropic Thunder on there? It is on there, but it's number twelve. Is Dang. Mad- is Madagascar all? Is three of them in that? Yeah, all three. Three Madagascar. So I'm looking for two that aren't Madagascar. Zoolander. No, Zoolander <laughs> is number eighteen. Meet the Fockers. Meet the Fockers number one. Mm. Really? So all that remains is this number two film. So Meet the Fockers made more money than Meet the Parents. Uh, yeah, Meet the Parents wow. made, it's on this list somewhere, Meet the Parents, Meet the Parents, where are you, Meet the Parents, uh, I feel like that movie was on TBS every week when I grew up, oh, it's number eight on his all-time list, Meet the Fockers, number one, number three, four, and five are Madagascar films, they're Madagascar three, four, and then two, number two. I don't know. I can't. Based on his filmography, I'm having a hard. I might just pick one. And I'm just gonna tell you that one. I'm gonna go pick uh, is going. Oh, go ahead. No good. Well, you, yeah, you, you just go ahead. Time. I'm thinking. I'm. I, I don't know. This is tough. This you is said tough. 2004 or later. My my. I'm wondering if it's Anchorman just based on the fact that he was in it. Um. If it's not number two, then I don't think it. I don't think Anchorman has counted towards this. Okay. I don't know if he's credited in that. Yeah, because it's a cameo. Man, I don't know. Um, Megamind. That's his. That's credited, and it's only number. Uh, it's actually tied for nine. Yeah, I got nothing. It's really disappointing. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm on. looking. You want me to tell you guys? Is it like? <laughs> is it Starsky and Hutch? No. We have like I I there no. all of these ones I feel like are gonna be at the bottom. No. 
You guys. <laughs> David's so frustrated. I don't I'm look. We're looking we're at look, it. These we're are both all, have the same reaction. These are all terrible little fuckers. <laughs> no, not little fuckers. <laughs> I'm just gonna name all the fucker movies. Phineas and Fer- oh, that's a TV series. No, I didn't. I didn't know if they made a <laughs> little movie. Little fucker is number nine on the list. I don't know. The only other one that I could see would be Tropic Thunder. Man, you said no, that's no, not it. 10. What did you say, number one? No, I'm sorry, Tropic Thunder, number two. Meet the Fockers, and then three Madagascar movies after this one. Right. And then Night at the Museum, <laughs> Battle of the Smithsonian is number six. And you said they Is all- it Secret Tomb? No. Along Came Polly? <laughs> no. What the hell? That's too old. No, he said 2004 or later. Yeah. Paul- Along Came Polly was 2004. Tower Heist? No, yes, just use your mind. <laughs> I'm looking just at think. <laughs> He said Megamind if, if you use your mind. Mind. was a hint. No, that's not a hint. <laughs> it's not a hint. Can we get a hint? Then what's the show we're doing? Oh, Night Museum it's 1. Night Museum 1! Oh. <laughs> you doofuses. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. It's a very pro- it's a very podcast series we're doing. You know right what now. is ridiculous? You even said that in last week's episode, I did. and I remember you saying that whenever you <laughs> asked this question. Yeah, because you, yeah. <laughs> I'm so upset that his highest grossing movie is Meet the Fockers. Yeah, it made two hundred seventy nine million the best dollars of the Meetas. No, it made two hundred seventy nine million dollars domestically. That's a lot of money for a comedy. It is. That's a big movie, and it was it was it was pretty high for that year it came out. From what I understand. So, um, let me see back to my stats. Um, it's Amy Adams. It's the fourth highest grossing movie for Amy Adams. We don't need to get we into that. We won't get into her thing. <laughs> Comparing it to the first film, this is a 30% drop in terms of domestic money. Um, the first film uh, had a uh, much bigger opening. Uh, this film had a bigger opening weekend, mm-hmm. but long term, the first film, as, as noted by it finishing higher on Ben Stiller's list, finished with more money. Uh, I think 200 uh, 50 something compared to um, the 177 that this one would bring in here in the United States. Um, however, uh, not the museum would actually end up making up most of that money. The first one, because um, it only dropped, it, it only dropped 50. Uh, uh, it only um, it made more money its second weekend. The first night of the museum, like it opened to like 17 million dollars and then had 20 million dollars the next weekend, well, which is really impressive for the first movie. I, I didn't say that last time. But uh, this one had a 55% drop. So while this one opened really well with like $54 million next week, mm-hmm. All right. down. So um, that's generally it. We got more We got more mileage out of that than I thought we would. <laughs> but uh, It's because we're dumb. But yeah, th- these movies didn't have that big of an impact. And they don't like hold any real special places in terms of like, you know, franchises money-wise. I mean, so, 2009. Talk more about that later. It was a hell of a year overall. Oh, yeah. It's that a, was the year of Avatar. It's a it's a wild uh, year. Yeah. It's Avatar, Twilight, uh, New Moon came out that year, uh, Harry Potter, and the Half-Blood Prince. Transformers. Oh, everything except Harry Potter I hate. Alvin the, Chief, Alvin the Chipmunks, the squeakle is number nine. You're on not making this better. No, I know. How about this, though? The Hangover, Up, Star Trek, I like Sherlock those. Holmes. Okay. Those there's are fine. Good in the, there's some good, the blind side if you're into that. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, so. that's it for the box office talk. Let's play the game. Yeah, yeah. so so Andrew won last week, but he's not here, so I'm going to do it again. You can forfeit his, he's uh, canceled, his game. Yeah. Uh, last week, 43%, 67% for Night at the Museum. 4363? Is that what you 4367. 4367. No, I may have said 63, but 67. So where do we think Night at the Museum 2, Battle at the Smithsonian, falls? 
Well, I certainly think it's still rotten. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go guess that it's still bad. 43. Mm-hmm. 46. Yeah, I'm going to say it did better, though. And I'm just going to say flat 50. I'm just going to go okay. flat 50. Okay. I'm not going to jump to 50 yet. So 46 and 50. Mm-hmm. Night at the Museum Battle at the Smithsonian is a busy enough or is busy enough to keep the kids interested, but the slapstick goes overboard, and the special effects, however well executed, throw the production into mania. I agree with that consensus. We didn't talk about that enough. There's special effects in this are really good. Okay. Mm, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna stick with forty-six. Forty-six. I'm gonna. St- I'll, I'll stick with fifty because I just. Or I'll stick with four. I'll. I'll, yeah, uh, I'll stick with fifty. I would also say I, I I don't think the audience score will be as high this time either. No. Do you want to play audience score? We can do that. All right, I don't so know I'll if I have a guess. What was the I think they're both 67. I think they're both rotten. I'll guess that. Okay. I'll say audience score is 65, and the and the the tomato score is 50. Okay. You want to do an audience? Uh, sure. Uh, 55. Okay. Uh, 44 for. Mm. Uh, so it only critics, improved one percent. It improved one percent, and yeah, the audience score got hit hard with a twenty percent drop. So it's forty-seven. Oh, wow. I didn't say twenty. So. No, 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 no. Well, yeah. So, well, at least at least audiences and critics agreed on this one. <laughs> yeah, but that surprises me because again, I, I liked this one more. I thought it was better. Yeah. But well, the, yeah. I guess I just what I just appreciated about it is just the comedy. There's just the sheer amount of comedy yeah. people that get in these movies. Might yeah. have to dig through some. Some uh, real people reviews and see if we can figure out oh. what went wrong. Yeah. See what the see what the people are saying. I think generally, just this movie, these movies, just for whatever reason, didn't stand out to most people. Well, okay. Even well, though what, it seemed like it. What do What do we give the movie out of five uh, tablets? <laughs> I gave it a three point two five. It's not quite like on my scale. Three point five is great. I wouldn't say it's great. I'd say it's really good. Mm-hmm. So right in the middle. I'll say, and I'm gonna look like an idiot compared to the Rotten Tomato score now. But I'll say four out of five. I think I went and saw this movie in a theater, and I feel like that was probably the best way to go about it. Like I feel like if I rented this movie, I would have been disappointed, like when it first came out, obviously. And if I had, but I, you know, I saw it in like a matinee showing. And I feel like that's probably the best scenario. Is like this movie is not really worth like a whole like evening out. Mm-hmm. But if you got nothing else going on on a Saturday and it's like two o'clock. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, this movie's not in theaters anymore, but that's just kind of how it feels. It just feels like just a kind of like a fun movie that doesn't really like hurt anything. So I give it a four out of five because I because I find the comedy very enjoyable. The Rolodex of comedians that just come through this movie. And I I'm going to be the harsh one and give it a two and a half. Ooh. I think it was OK. Uh, that's where I'm going to settle. All right. That wraps up this week's show. We'll be back next week, hopefully with Andrew in tow. To talk about the grand finale of Ninth Museum, Secret of the Tomb. I just realized that we don't have we don't have like a Andrew to do a little throwaway, oh, his right. little like sign off. What are we gonna do? What do we do? I'm I'm literally in panicking. Oh yeah. What do we do? Uh, this is why this is why we can't do the show without Andrew. He's just <laughs> he's necessary. It's, 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 it's the intangible. I literally can't think the intangibles of anything. Yeah, you know you should plug us with Twitter. Oh sure. How about I plug? I'm so thrown off I didn't even do any of that. No, you didn't do any of that. You can find us online at facebook.com slash so many sequels pod. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Please also consider helping us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash so many sequels, or is it pod? Uh, I think it's so many sequels. Just so many sequels. Patreon.com slash so many sequels. We do this show for free, for fun. 
Uh, so any little bit that you can help uh, throw our way, whether it's a buck or two or three, that would help us a lot. Yep. Like I said, we just do this for fun. So yep. if you like us, um, maybe skip a cup of coffee a month and throw that toward us instead. Yeah, you can you can donate any amount you want. We have tier settings, but you don't have to give like an exact amount. You can give like a dollar seven, a dollar twenty. Yeah. Where I think you can give as low as like fifty cents. I'm really not sure, but just any any amount counts, and it all goes to just trying to make this show better, improve the quality of the show as best we can. Because like so, none of us are getting paid to do this. Nope, not at all, unfortunately. <laughs> not yet. Uh, so yeah, find that at patreon.com slash so many sequels. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you later. Wait, I got a pitch out. Pitch it to me. Pitch it to me. Okay. Uh, until next time. If you don't listen to this podcast, I will literally rent a camper and we will drive across <laughs> America with this on full blast. That's not a threat. That's a promise. <laughs> <laughs>